Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome back to Eye on the Community. I'm Vicki Pepper. Hundreds of volunteers, cities, and county staff and leaders and elected officials will join forces to count Riverside County's homeless population this week on Wednesday, February 23rd. There's also a count of homeless youth over three days from Wednesday to Friday, the 23rd to the 25th. The annual point-in-time count offers a snapshot of all sheltered and unsheltered homeless individuals across the county. The federal government uses the data to determine funding levels, assess regional needs, and monitor local progress in reducing homelessness. Here to tell us more is Monique Guerra, who has experienced homelessness herself and is sharing her story. She now works for the county's Housing and Workforce Solutions Department as a homeless youth advocate. Also, Tanya Torno, a deputy director with the same department, which is leading this year's count. Thank you for joining me, ladies. Thank you for having us. Before we get into the count, Monique, let's start with you. This is an issue close to your heart because you struggled with homelessness from a very young age until college. How did the cycle begin for you and what caused it to continue? When I was young, my parents suffered from drugs and alcohol. They had strong addictions and housing instability was a real issue for our family. It was tough to maintain a job. My parents struggled with mental health issues. So it was really difficult to have children and have to provide for them while while going through that. Um, And so we always had unstable housing conditions. Um, We were always moving. We were getting convicted. We were trying to make ends meet. And so I remember being really young and it was raining one day and our car didn't work. And it's these little issues that lead to being homeless. It starts with losing your job, then your car stops working, then you have kids, then you don't have childcare, then one parent wants to leave. And my mom, she tried to get better, but it was really difficult when like my dad wouldn't support her. And so she didn't have the support. She didn't have the resources. She didn't know the information that was out in the community that could help her. So the lack of knowledge and information also was a part of what led us to being homeless. And so I think it starts living in an impoverished area, not having opportunity, not being able to be self-sufficient. And it was a cycle that my mom had went through. She didn't have the information or knowledge to care for kids. She went through abuse and homelessness herself. And so it's just a cycle that continued. I want to talk about some semantics for a moment. What is the difference in the phrase homeless person and someone who is experiencing homelessness? I think people use the terms interchangeably. I think we should be using terms like 
experiencing homelessness, having unstable living conditions, home insecurity, right? Housing insecurity. I think that's what we should be using because then it's more of a, this is what people are going through in the moment rather than this is someone's life. This is what determines who they are. And I think when we think about, oh, look, that homeless person or that person chooses to be homeless. That's when we start using words like, oh, they're homeless because they want to be here. You know, they're on the street because they want to be homeless. And personally, I don't think anyone wants to be homeless and I don't think anybody chooses to be on the streets if they had other options but when you exhaust all your options at the end like you end up without a home and it's things that lead to homelessness that can happen to anyone at any given time so people are experiencing homelessness they aren't homeless you know that's not what identifies them or their identity and it's not what what we should be looking at as this is what they are it's this is where they're at and how can we help them get out of this if they choose to take our help and you were a college student when you broke the cycle of homelessness how did that happen how did that come about what was the turning point I made a really tough decision in high school to go to college and move somewhere that I wasn't familiar with. And so it was out of the spur moment where I was like, you know, if I don't do this now, I'm never going to do it. And I left behind my siblings and just kind of jumped into the unknown. And it was it was really tough, you know, so I had to have tons of faith that whatever was going to happen was going to work out for the better. And so when I came out to Riverside, I didn't have housing. I didn't have a plan for where I was going to be or what I was going to do. All I knew was that I was going to go to college. And, you know, I was grateful for the opportunity. And I started looking into programs and seeing, you know, how I could get assistance. And so I realized there was lots of churches that gave food, clothes and stuff. And so I started looking into community resources, but I didn't want to share with anyone that I was experiencing homelessness. One, to not worry people. And two, so that People don't define me as, you know, like, oh, that's a homeless college student. And I really wanted my identity to just be that I was a college student. And so it was really difficult to talk to people about that, you know, and how do you tell someone like, oh, yeah, I'm homeless. And so I remember staying with friends overnight. I'd be like, oh, yeah, we should study all night. And so I would stay at their dorms and I didn't dorm like everyone else. So I didn't have the same amount of like friendships and places to kind of hang out at. But I remember friends that would meal swipe for me, you know, because they had a meal plan with their dorm. And I remember staying at the library and just kind of camping out in front of my first class, which was in, in a humanities building. And after like 7 p.m., it, it was pretty, pretty alone, not very busy. And it was in front of a restroom. So I was able to get ready in the morning. And so finally, I decided you know, I can't do this anymore. And I shared with my director from the Guardian Scholar program that I was a part of at UCR and let him know, you know, I need I need somewhere to live. And he was able to connect me to a transitional living program for foster youth. And ever since then, you know, I kind of started thinking about homelessness as a situation and as a temporary circumstance, not something that defines me. And I really learned to open up. And sometimes it was forcefully, right? I had to forcefully tell people what I was going through for them to help me. But then I realized that it made it that much easier to, one, talk about my story, let go of some of these issues that I had, especially with homelessness. And so being able to share that with everyone and and those around me, you know, and let them know that I was looking for resources, I was looking for help, it is what linked me to the places that I ended up living in. And it really did help me find that stability in my life. And then I took financial literacy classes in college through Guardian Scholars, and I met a great mentor. And I realized that the foundation for my housing insecurity was finances. It was I didn't know 
how to budget. I didn't know. The only thing I knew about money is that it comes, it goes. And, you know, when I have it, I should use it for what I need. And I didn't think about it as my housing should be first and then the vehicle that gets me to work and then everything else, food, clothes, and then extra. So learning that was like the foundation for my stability. I'm speaking with Monique Guerra, who has experienced homelessness and now works for the county's Housing and Workforce Solutions Department as a homeless youth advocate. How has your journey shaped your work now to help homeless youth, including this upcoming point-in-time count? I strongly believe that when you talk to people and you want to build rapport and you want to connect with them, you should come from a place of either letting them know that you don't understand what they're going through, but you empathize with them, right? And you want to help and you want to provide solutions. And if you've experienced it, then you want to let them know that I understand. And that's when people can use, I understand. And I feel like I've experienced that a lot during my time out here in Riverside and, you know, just in life. Like, I don't like to hear when people say, oh, I understand what you're going through. Because it's like, oh, so you've experienced homelessness. You're a former foster youth. You're a first generation Latina student. Like, is, is that what you understand? And so being able to really understand what someone has experienced and realizing that nobody's experiences are the same even though they are similar situations everybody can have an experience and go through life differently but those challenges and those barriers that you overcome are what shape your relationship with people right and it shapes what you do and who you are and so I've taken everything that I've experienced and I try to understand where everyone's coming from and anyone who comes across my desk and I really try to let youth and know that I understand I come from a place of experience but I also come from a place of knowledge and I want to help you because I know the resources that are in our county and I know that there are great people that I've met from these programs who do amazing work and have the same passion to help and provide housing for everyone and so I try to really connect with everyone that I talk to and everything is a connection and it is a relationship Um, and I try to let them know that I'm here to advocate for them I understand what they're going through and sometimes people People just need to vent and sometimes I just need to sit there and listen and understand that they don't want my help they just wanted someone to listen and so being able to really connect with clients and people going through it and understanding the circumstance that they're in and then understanding where they want to get to I think that's something that I share with them right and so I always share I'm like hey you know I'm I'm also former foster so I understand you know when you age out of your TLP program or I let them know I've lived in a transitional living program I know it's not ideal but that's why we work toward gaining independence and being stable to get our own place and stuff and so letting them know that everything that they're going through is temporary because that's what people reminded me of and it helps when you're going through it to know that your situation is temporary you jump on one horse to get to the next one and and at the end of the day it's hard sometimes because I want to help everyone and I want everyone to take my help but sometimes not everyone is ready and then I have to remember my parents right and remember that they weren't always ready even when the help was there And so people need to make their own decisions and choices. And all you can really do is share your experience, share your knowledge, share the information that's out there. Because knowledge is power. When you know the places to go to and you know where they're offering food on Sundays and you know where they're going to give rental assistance, like that's powerful. And so in a community to build community. You need to share that information with everyone. Also in studio is Tanya Torno, a deputy director with Riverside County's Housing and Workforce Solutions Department. 
Tanya, the ongoing pandemic has left more people vulnerable to homelessness, including seniors. How would you describe the state of homelessness in Riverside County? The last annual homeless point in time count was conducted in January 2020. So just a few months before the onset of the COVID pandemic. And what we know from looking at those numbers is that over 2,800 individuals in our community were experiencing unsheltered and sheltered homelessness. We completely expect that the numbers for this year's annual point in time count are likely to increase as a result of the pandemic. And the reasons for this is one, we're seeing increases in the cost of housing. I was reading an article the other day in the Press Enterprise that really highlighted that in California, we have the largest housing cost. Finding a one bedroom unit today in Riverside can cost anywhere between $1,400 and $1,800. And when you consider that about 57% of our neighbors are paying more than half of their income towards their rent, that is resulting in them being completely rent burdened. And when we talk about being rent burdened, really what that means is families are using the money they get from employment to pay for rent, and that's leaving them with very little to pay for other medical, food, transportation, and other costs. So in addition to the cost of housing, we know that there's a very low rental vacancy rate in our community. A most recent report shared that in the Inland Empire, the rental vacancy rate is at a 2.7%, which makes it very, very difficult for families, for anyone to find housing. And so as we, within our department, partner with our community to help solve homelessness, we know that housing is key. The key to Monique's situation and and the solution for her and for her family was connecting them to a stable unit. It wasn't the end all. We know that housing is the first step, but when you connect a family to housing, it allows for that family to stabilize in a place where they can then begin to access the resources they need. So with the low rental vacancy rates, with the cost of the housing market, with inflation costs just in general, we look at the prices of food, gas, what we need to get to work every single day. It's making it more and more challenging for people to be able to afford housing. So we anticipate that the numbers will likely be higher this year. And I know for us, you know, we're really looking at this to really examine the overall impact of COVID because other than this count, we really haven't had anything that has evaluated the effects of homelessness and COVID and how they're correlated. Tell us about the efforts underway to reduce homelessness and how the point in time count fits into that big picture. Like, why is this data so important? This count is so important because we are very much focused on using a data-driven approach to resolve the cause of homelessness. And what that means is that we recognize that there is value in looking at the number of people who are experiencing homelessness today, but then also looking at their individual state to determine which groups of people are experiencing homelessness at a higher rate than others, breaking it down, we look at age, we look at race, we collect information about the reasons that they entered homelessness. So is it truly because 
they experienced a loss due to employment income? Is it due to an eviction notice that they received? Is it due to a loss in a family member or friend who they were living with who was the main breadwinner, so to speak, and and was the person that was covering the bill? So collecting this information allows us as a community and our department as a housing and workforce lead who supports our continuum of care that is made up of over 200 stakeholders who are just committed to the cause, represent the community, are part of nonprofits and cities who come together on a regular basis to plan for homelessness. It allows for that body to really begin to plan and coordinate responses for homelessness. So if I could sum this up, what I would say is that we use this data to determine what programs should be developed, what existing programs perhaps should be modified or enhanced so that they can better serve the population. And also, in a large region like Riverside County, we're the fourth largest county in the nation, we need to recognize that responses to homelessness look different across each community. So with the data, we're able to determine how resources should be spent, but also where are investments needed most? Because Riverside County is so so vast and, and diverse, right? You could be in one area where it feels very urban. I joke around when I'm in downtown Riverside and say, hey, I feel like I'm in Chicago. But if you drive out to eastern Coachella Valley, there's areas there that are very rural or even going into Hemet can feel very rural and accessing public transportation there as an example, it could take two hours to get from one end of the county to another. So those are all things that we consider that we use and match with this data to determine what homeless responses should look like. Over 700 volunteers have signed up for this year's count. How does the survey actually work? Like walk us through what the volunteers will do in the general count coming up this week. Absolutely. So when volunteers sign up to participate for the count, they are automatically enrolled into a volunteer training. And most of our volunteers have already gone through that training, but prior to the day of the count, they are gonna receive an email notification from us that identifies which deployment site they will be uh, reporting to. And we have deployment sites in every single city. So we're proud to say that all 28 cities in Riverside County are participating and engaged with the count. And so when volunteers sign up, they identify which community they want to count in. Prior to the count, they'll receive an email notification from us saying, you know, which deployment site they'll be reporting to. And when they report to the count the morning of, which is at very early hours in the morning, we start at 5.30 a.m. and the count runs through 9.30 a.m. that day. Volunteers will check in with a lead city coordinator and county coordinator who is there to support and be assigned to their designated teams and they'll be provided with a map of the area that they're going to be responsible for counting. So what cities do in partnership with our county team is they actually break out their large city into smaller blocks so that when the team's go out, they're designated to a specific block that they will actually count. And the great thing in Riverside County is we're actually using a mobile app where other communities are still using a manual survey that you like circle, highlight manually. Riverside County, we've been able to develop a GIS mobile map that allows all of our volunteers to ask the survey questions and enter the information electronically and 
even cooler for planning efforts, as I was talking about earlier, we actually can pinpoint the location where the survey was conducted. Oh, wow. Yep. And that information is crucial because our plan following the count is to, of course, submit the information to the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. They need it on a larger scale to look at national homeless trends. But on a local level, it will allow us to coordinate with local street outreach teams who will follow up after the count and provide aftercare services, like follow-up services, to the people that were surveyed. I'm speaking with Tanya Torno, a deputy director with Riverside County's Housing and Workforce Solutions Department, and Monique Guerra, who is a homeless youth advocate. In addition to the event that is happening this Wednesday, there is a separate event happening this Wednesday through Friday. Monique, tell us how that works and what's the goal? Definitely. So we're going to have the homeless youth point in time count during those days. So it's going to be February 23rd through the 25th. And it's going to be from 2 to 8 p.m. And like Tanya was explaining, it's going to run the same way. We have deployment sites throughout the county where volunteers are going to check in. They would have already registered, taken the training. They know about safety protocols. They know about sanitizing and using masks. They know about the population that we're going to go out and survey. So they know that youth can look like just regular teenagers, you know, out at the park and stuff. They can look like college students. So, you know, we want to ask, you know, hey, can we conduct this survey about your housing? And if they say that they're housed, then we're good. We'll move on. But all of our volunteers will have that knowledge to know who to go survey and how to identify youth that we're serving. And so they'll also use the mobile app and they'll submit their surveys. And the good thing about the survey is that it lets you know, oh, if this person already said they were housed, you know, just tell them thank you and move on. Or it says, you know, are they youth? Because it'll ask, you know, are they under 24, 25? It'll also ask them if they're receiving any services or anything like, how can we better assist them? So I really like the app that we're using. It really lets volunteers know where to go and how to conduct the survey. And so it shouldn't take any more than 10 minutes. But we really do want to make sure that youth know that, hey, we're going to survey you for 10 minutes minutes, but we'll also give you an incentive bag. So we're going to provide an incentive bag to the general count as well as the youth count. And so it'll just have hygiene items and some warm items, beanies, gloves, and some resources as well. And so we're really hoping that that will incentivize our participants to really engage in the survey because it's meant to help them in their housing. I think what really makes the youth point in time count really successful is that we're using formerly homeless youth like Monique who have lived through this experience to help us with the planning. And so we have a youth action board that's made up of about seven youth representatives who through this process have identified locations where youth who are experiencing homelessness today are likely to be. And so some of those locations, right, are malls, libraries, and other specific centers. And so the youth point in time count will look different from the general point in time count because the counters will actually target those specific locations. So I'm really excited about the progress that the team has made because we recognize that youth blend in a lot of times with the general population. They're really good at accessing areas or spaces like gyms to shower. They're very creative or college campuses to shower and use other amenities. So they are very much what we refer to as like the hidden homeless population. Right. Us. 
And it's also in the evening because some youth are in school, some youth have somewhere to go during the day, some youth might be couch surfing or accessing other resources in the community, right? But when five o'clock hits and you don't have anywhere to go, when you know you're off of school and, and you're experiencing homelessness, you're more likely to be found in these areas in the evening. And so like Tanya mentioned, we love that we're partnering and working with a lot of the youth resources and agencies and organizations that provide youth resources. And so we really have a good team out there who know the youth, know the population that we're serving, and know how to best approach and assist them and survey them for this count. Part of what's new this year are come and be connected events to provide support and resources for homeless youth. Mooney, can you tell us what's happening with those and how the public can support them? Oh, I'm so excited for Come and Be Connected events. I've been working closely with our team, our agencies, our locations, our vendors. And so these events are really meant to come with the count. So ultimately, our goals at these events are to still survey youth, make sure that we're getting every youth that comes through any of the events surveyed to make sure that we're getting that information about their housing status and also to direct them to the right vendors at these events. And so there's going to be five events across the five districts and we really did want to make sure that there was an event that um, anyone can access out in the desert as well as right out in like the Hemet area um, and then in Riverside so that youth don't feel like they only had to go to one event it was on that day they missed it so we made it over the span of the same days as the youth point in time count the 23rd through the 25th of February and they're going to be from 2 to 6 p.m. and As we were talking about, you know, our agencies and organizations that provide youth resources, all of the events are at youth opportunity centers. So it's already a very youth-friendly environment. It's an organization that provides services as well. And so we've been working closely with partners in the community as vendors. And so it's going to work like a resource fair. And it's really meant to target youth experiencing homelessness. We want to also offer preventative measures. And so having agencies and vendors that provide preventative services as well as homeless services, housing, CalFresh, we were able to secure CalFresh. CalWorks and Medi-Cal at all of the sites. So if youth attend any of the sites and they need assistance with any of those, they can go ahead and receive those services there. And so we were really trying to make sure that we have anywhere from housing to sexual reproduction to food, churches. We partnered with a lot of different agencies in the community to provide all sorts of resources to youth and even their families if they were to show up and say, hey, we're experiencing homelessness or we're going to be homeless. We have rapid rehousing teams and we have Home Connect, who's going to be at some of our events. And so really being able to connect youth and individuals at that moment with some of the resources and services that they need. And so I'm really excited for these events. We have our awesome staff who, who are also going to be at these events assisting the host sites for these opportunity centers have been so pleasant to work with and they care so much and they want to make sure that everyone that comes to the events leaves feeling hopeful and like they're getting what they need you know and knowing that there are tons of resources that our community offers and so I love working for Riverside County and I love working with everyone and and just seeing how much everyone cares and wants to put on these successful events and so our team is great they've really done the most to make sure that these events have food music everyone from across the county programs that are in the desert are going to be coming out to Riverside and so this is really how we bring our community together and resources to those experiencing and and to our vulnerable populations. 
Tanya, these counts are accomplished with the help of many cities, county partners, and elected officials who all come together to participate and address homelessness. Can you give us a sense of who's involved and why these partnerships are so vital? Everyone is involved. So we are very fortunate that in Riverside County, we have a continuum of care membership body. And I spoke about them earlier, but I just wanted to emphasize that when the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, which is our main federal branch that focuses on addressing homelessness, when that entity provides communities with funding to do this, they have put in regulation that communities need to develop a continuum of care. And the continuum of care is made up of different stakeholders, both in the public, private, nonprofit sector, who all are engaged in addressing the issue in one in one way or another. Some are direct housing and homeless service providers. Others are social service type of agencies who may deliver or administer food pantry programs or other types of street outreach and housing assistance programs. And they get together on a regular basis. We meet with this 200-member stakeholder body every single month to discuss, you know, how we are going to resolve the issue of homelessness. And so first and foremost, I think it's really important to acknowledge that body because they are such a critical part in our planning process. Every year we are required to do a homeless point in time count. They are the very first body that we meet with to discuss what the planning efforts will look like. And the majority of those stakeholders are nonprofit agencies like the Coachella Valley Rescue Mission, Path of Life Ministries, Valley Restart. There's just so many different nonprofits that I think it's important to highlight because even in the midst of COVID, when they were going through their own personal hardships, they remained focused in the mission and have delivered direct services like emergency shelter, street outreach, and rental assistance programs without a pause. So definitely our COC membership. We also want to acknowledge our county board of supervisors offices. All five supervisors in our county have supported the count both in planning efforts and helping us engage with the 28 cities. I shared earlier that again we're very fortunate all 28 cities have signed up and acknowledged the importance of the count and are helping us because they recognize that the data will bring more resources to the county to their cities to address the issues. And then, of course, you know, we have to give a shout out to the different sororities, many from UCR, where Monique is from, but also from CBU and Cal State San Bernardino, who have all stepped in to say, how can we help with donations and different events. The other piece I would acknowledge is that we definitely have a strong faith-based community in our region who is also committed to the cause, and they have been alongside with us as we've planned for this very, very large endeavor. The last thing I will say is that, you know, this year we recognize the importance of doing more than account. We go out and we survey people who are experiencing unsheltered homelessness. They disclose so much information to us about their current state. And it 
is very hard to meet someone, make a personal connection and, you know, leave them with an incentive bag and realize not knowing what's going to happen the, the next day or even the very next hour. And so this year we recognize the need to provide follow-up services. And so we, as I mentioned earlier, have coordinated with our continuum of care membership body, so those 200 stakeholders, so that following the count, we match each person with a street outreach team who is going to provide follow-up care. And I just think that's really, really important that that part of this event is not mandated by HUD. We are mandated to do a count and collect the data, um, but we are not mandated to provide the follow-up care. And I just think it speaks volumes. It says a lot about Riverside County that our stakeholders have come together and said, we want more than a count. We really want to reach people and make a difference so that homelessness is reduced in the next five 10 years. So really thankful for that opportunity. You're calling this year's event more than a count because there's an emphasis on not just counting the number of people who are experiencing homelessness, but also connecting them to resources, housing, and other services. Can you describe these outreach efforts? Absolutely. So what that will look like following the count is using the mobile app and the GIS locations that we are able to connect to each person. We're basically going to be able to have a huge heat map that will identify where people that are experiencing homelessness are located. And we have designated street outreach teams across each five supervisor district. And they are, again, teams that are part of our nonprofit partners. Many of them are also county teams, like our county behavioral health, our housing authority, that, again, are very knowledgeable about the resources in that given district. They know where the social service offices are. They know where the behavioral health clinics are. They know where housing availability is, both temporary and permanent housing. And so these designated district street outreach teams will be provided with a list of all the individuals surveyed in their region. And following the count for the first four to six weeks, there will be a concentrated effort in matching up those individuals to the specific teams who will then go out and meet with the persons to help them connect to services they requested. And that's important because this year what we did with our survey is that we added a question that asked the individual what types of services they would like to be connected with. Too often, we assume that every single person, you know, if they're struggling with substance use, that's the first route they want to take, or that maybe we're trying to force, as an example, emergency shelter on someone who I think Monique spoke to, sometimes people are not ready. So the survey this year really allows the person to identify, hey, what follow-up services would you like? A lot of homeless individuals, as an example, have pets, and so they're really concerned and would like veterinary services for their pets. And so in other situations, what we have found is there's some individuals who have severe medical needs. So being able to connect them to that service is going to be critical. So their responses to that question is going to be the driver for the follow-up care. But also, of course, what it does is that it serves as a good engagement tool. It allows for that street outreach worker to directly help that person in need connect to a service 
that is driven by what they need and what they identify is important to them and hopefully is a good start to a long lasting relationship that will allow them to accomplish the end goal of being matched to a permanent housing unit. Hundreds of volunteers have signed up to participate in this year's point in time count. How have they prepared for this and what do you hope that they take away from the experience? In addition to participating in a two-hour training, a lot of them have directly participated in a count before. What we have found with the 700 volunteers that a lot of them have participated in previous counts. So we are thankful for our returning volunteers. And on the day of the count, like I said, they are going to have firsthand on experience connecting with people who are experiencing homelessness. So we always say it takes a village to address homelessness. And then I think also, you know, another important issue that Monique spoke to is that there is value in the personal relationships that people establish. And so I think the greatest asset in the count is that people who are experiencing homelessness on that day will be able to connect with another human being, will receive an incentive bag with critical resources that they need, but also right at their request, at their demand, be connected to a street outreach worker who will provide follow-up care. So we're truly thankful for our volunteers who are committed to the cause as much as we are and have gone through all the steps, completing the training, and are going to show up with us at 5.30 a.m. to participate in the count. I've been speaking with Monique Guerra, a homeless youth advocate for Riverside County Housing and Workforce Solutions, and Tanya Torno, Deputy Director at Housing and Workforce Solutions. You can learn more about the point-in-time count by visiting morethanaccount.org. There are also links to resources there to help those who are experiencing homelessness or are at risk of losing their home. While the sign-up period to volunteer for the count has closed, you can still make a donation as well. You can learn more and ask questions by calling the Point in Time Count hotline at 951-358-3844. That's 951-358-3844. Ladies, is there anything else you want us to know? I just want everyone who participates to enjoy going out there and being able to be a part of making the start to make a difference in someone's life. And this survey could be that difference. So I encourage you to volunteer. I encourage you to call, to inquire about more information, to see how else you can be a part of the count. And so I also want to remind you that not everyone chooses their circumstance and situation and there's a lot of factors that lead individuals and and youth to become homeless or to experience housing instability and so when you go out there you got to go out there with an open mind and you know an open heart to know that people are going to share their stories with you and at the end of the day when you leave you take a piece of their story and so let's not let that be in vain but let's take that story to really encourage us and encourage our community to do the most for our population that's experiencing housing instability because everyone deserves housing and the opportunity for a better life. And I would just echo what Monique has said. I I think In these times, it's hard for us not to be able to identify someone that we know who is experiencing some type of housing insecurity, whether it's that they are 
feeling like they're living paycheck to paycheck just to pay their rent on time and make ends meet. Or worst case scenario, someone who has fallen into homelessness. So with that, I think that our ability to secure over 700 volunteers speaks volumes, again, about people's feelings about homelessness, but also recognizing that it's not the end all, right? And as we talked about earlier, because someone is experiencing homelessness today, and that's why we use that phrase, we know that there are people, there are over 700 volunteers who remain committed to the cause and want to help. And my hope is that we can continue to work with this network beyond the count. We can work with the 700 people that have registered for the count beyond this event in our planning efforts so that we can truly, truly change people's lives and allow people to achieve the goals that they would like to accomplish for themselves. Because I think at the end of it, right, that's kind of the purpose of life is we're all seeking to find our purpose. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. And I hope the point in time count this week is very successful. Thank you so much, Vicki. We appreciate the opportunity, the platform that you have given us to share this. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.